Hi there, and welcome to Plant CEO. In today's episode, I'd like to welcome my guests, who are actually mother and son duo, Kim Anderson, who's a co-founder of Plant City, and Froman Anderson, who's the managing partner of Everhope Capital. Hi, and welcome to you both. Morning. Thank you for having us. Morning. Thank you. Great. So I think it'll be great to start with um, your backgrounds, actually. So, yeah, it'll be great to understand you know, where you have come from in terms of the both areas that you're looking after, the Plant City and Everhope, uh, and how you've, um, you know, what your background stories for, for each of you. Roman, you go first. Sure. Well, I guess our, our journey as a family working in this space together um, really started with a family business um, that came out of my sister's passion um, when she was uh, about 14 years old, she got very passionate about the issue of uh, harmful chemicals in our everyday products. And that led her and myself and my mother uh, to start a business that would create products to solve that problem, to give people affordable, uh, accessible, um, high-performing, safe, clean, uh, everyday products from deodorant, toothpaste, makeup, these types of things. Um, but when we started, we didn't realize that that was a social enterprise, so to speak. But that's what really got us in, I would say, working together on an important issue that mattered to us. Um, we, we operated that business for about six years and ended up exiting about five or six years ago. Um, but I think what it left us with was a really profound understanding of how business can impact uh, uh, societal education and, and really move the needle on certain issues that matter to us, both environmental and, and in, our, in our society. Um, so after that business, we kind of found ourselves looking for new projects and areas of interest. And just around that time, um, I had started to go vegan um, and plant-based myself. And um, it, it really opened our eyes to a whole world of issues within our food system, how protein is produced, um, and, and it really uh, gave us the opportunity to consider what was our role in helping solve this problem. Um, we were starting to see exciting companies like the Beyond Meats and Impossible Foods of the world who were creating these interesting, innovative technical solutions to the issue of how we produce protein in a sustainable, ethical, um, healthy sort of way. And, uh, you know, as I was sort of making... Um, food changes myself and my own diet and, and just being like a, a really hungry vegan and wanting to find good products, it, it really opened up my eyes to the solution set that was being created. So that that's a little bit of our path to where we got. And um, ultimately, we decided to start doing some investments and utilizing our own skill sets as entrepreneurs um, and, and ventures, um, uh, venture seekers to uh, deploy capital and help the startups that we were seeing in the space um, really tackle some of the issues that started to matter to us. And, and I'll just add on to that. Um, you know, I, I sort of made my own personal transition to vegan veganism, um, but really my family followed along, which was uh, a really cool experience. Um, one I'm certain my mom is uh, happy to share a little more about as well. Sure. So um, as Roman was making this transition, um, you know, being 54 years old and completely unaware of what he was doing and what he was talking about, 
we kind of just, you know, accepted it and tried to learn a little. But then he, he said to us for Christmas, I just want you to watch these movies and give me the time to talk about them. And so his dad and I watched Forks Over Knives and Cowspiracy. Now, he had a long list of movies. It only took two. <laughs> and we um, called him the next morning and we're like, OK, we're vegan. What do you eat for breakfast? And we'll figure it out from there, because literally we you have to rethink everything and, and that takes time, but that's okay. Once you launch into it, you know, the science is settled. And as a family, we all leaned in hard and, and we're all 100% plant-based and, and vegan. Um, and um, I watched the investments and then I started a group locally called Powered by Plants RI to try to share this message and try to figure out how to get as many people as possible to understand it because we were going through a rough time uh, public policy and, and government wise, we knew that the environmental issue was going to go backwards. We were correct. We probably couldn't have predicted how badly it would be, but we wanted to keep forging forward on showing the world that there's a sustainable and compassionate way to eat. So um, I started this group and I moved about 300 people from animal to plant-based eating through movies through um, education, through information. But as I checked back with them, um, they all said the same thing. I could do this at home in my kitchen, but I can't do it when I go out. I'm the odd man out. I'm sitting at the end of the table. My family's rolling their eyes at me. This is just too difficult. And I don't do it when I go out or I don't go out at all. And that just didn't seem like a really good solution if we're gonna have this, this ecosystem where we want everyone in the world to be eating more plants and more plant-based and less animals, we have to provide that platform. So I created with Matthew Kenny, the, the world's top plant-based chef out of LA, he has 40 restaurants on five continents, um, created Plant City, which is the world's first plant-based food hall and marketplace, as well as the world's largest vegan restaurant that we're aware of, as um, not just a restaurant, but literally a community of four of his favorite restaurants under one roof and a bakery and a coffee shop and a marketplace and an event space and a community space that we rent out to like-minded practitioners and a jumpstart for whole health training um, for, for our guests and, and patients of the three doctors that worked that for us. So it, it, was, it was creating a, like a stake in the ground of this is what this food system can look like. And thankfully it's been incredibly successful. We've served over 700,000 guests in our first 22 months and 13 of those have been during COVID. Um, and we're expanding to do Plant City X. So that's a little bit of kind of how Froman started this and, and we together as a, as a family have taken it to the next steps. Yeah, well, well done. Um, and uh, amazing work Froman to, to convert your family. Um, if, if you think back, I mean, I know you had those list of films for your, for your family and your mum to watch. Do you remember which films actually kind of made you convert yourself or was it a film or was it something else? Yeah, I think documentaries did play a major part um, in my education around, around the food system. I was in an interesting position because um, I had actually uh, majored uh, undergraduate in environmental sciences. So I was quite aware already about so many of the problems of our food system from like an environmental and sustainability standpoint, but I hadn't quite uh, been presented with some of the facts the way those movies show them and certainly not as much of the uh, moral or e ethical or humane uh, humane issues around our current food system. So some of those documentaries like Cowspiracy, like Forks Over Knives, um, like What the Health, they, they do a tremendous job of you know telling the story and the narrative of 
um, uh, you know, a holistic food system, uh, and also what, you know, all the facets and externalities of, of our current system. Um, so th those were incredibly impactful for me. Um, you know, a little bit later into my journey, I, there were some great books as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the documentaries are a fantastic tool to share with friends and family because it's a, it's quite easy to sit down for an hour and watch something versus, you know, try and convince somebody to uh, read a book sometimes. So I yeah, found those things quite powerful. Yeah, whilst we're on the topic of documentaries, I guess uh, you, you would have seen Seaspiracy uh, uh, by now? Yes. Uh, I did. It, it was a very tough film to watch. Um, I must admit, at this point in my journey, I sometimes feel like, uh, do I need to watch another one of these? Because, you know, we sort of know, but I'm, I'm very glad I did because it, it is certainly um, re-energizing and re-motivating to watch, um, you know, the horrors of what are what are uh, happening in, in, in our food systems. And in that case, our, our system of producing and capturing seafood. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think it's it's always important to be refreshed on on what the latest documentaries are, just to also remind you why you're doing this to some degree. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I will say it also struck um, uh, you know a particular place uh, in, in, with us because um, investing in seafood alternatives has been sort of a core of our investment thesis. So. Um, you know, my mom did a great job explaining what we're doing on the, on the culinary and restaurant side and what we're doing in our local community. Um, we have, and then we have the investment side that I'm sort of managing through Everhope Capital. Um, and, and within that, one of our focus areas has been seafood. Um, we, we sort of realized a few years ago that there were some really big companies like Beyond and Impossible that were doing just a fantastic job handling, um, creating the protein alternatives in, in the terrestrial animal space. But what we, what we saw as very underinvested and underrepresented was, uh, you know, a, t a really a tasty, uh, affordable, accessible uh, seafood alternative. So that, that's actually an area that we've been focused on for a while, both plant-based and cellular-wise. And um, it, so it's really exciting to see a documentary like Seaspiracy come up and I think uh, really open up people's eyes. Yeah. And fantastic. So which um, which companies have you invested in on, on sea, seafood side? Yeah, on the plant-based side, we we are early investor in Good Catch. Um, parent company is Gathered Foods. Um, super excited about what that team is accomplishing and where they're heading. Um, they're doing a great job scaling and, and bringing in strategic investors. Um, uh, we also invested in Ocean Hugger Foods, which is yeah. sort of a biomimicry, um, pure plant ingredient play. Um, and then we also wanted to uh, look at what was happening in the cellular space uh, and that approach to solving our seafood problem. So Blue and the Lou was our chosen uh, vehicle to try and help what was going on in that technological approach. Um, they've done uh, an incredible job of advancing the technology in that space and, and also fundraising um, and, and bringing strategics to this space. So it's really exciting to see where this is all headed. And just a few years ago, you know, there are only two or three companies really uh, tackling that issue. Now there's dozens and dozens all around the world. So it's really exciting to see. Yeah, I think uh, there, there seems to be an interesting debate between uh, the plant-based approaches uh, versus the cell-based approaches, even when it comes mm -hmm. to Bill Gates, who, who's actually invested in both areas. Uh, and recently he was, it was a bit more critical, I would say, on the cell-based 
approach mainly to do with uh, the speed to market, right? Um, do you have similar thoughts? Uh, you know, are you happy with the way things are moving along? I can see the immediate effect that we have when the when a plant-based company hits hits the market and got their products and it's on the shelves. It's fantastic, but there's just as much research going on the cell-based approach and but it's it's comes to more of the scaling question than when it's ready. Yeah, I think the way we view it right now is we, we just have tremendous amount of suffering in our in our world from seafood capture and production and and all and all the other animal products that we're creating right now. And and we're really trying to find what are the most innovative, effective, scalable ways to solve this problem of food production. So we're gonna look at everything. And for us, uh, plant-based, cellular-based, fungi-based, um, they all are going to play a role in the future of protein uh, production and food production. Um, so while plant-based has clearly uh, accelerated very quickly and is on store shelves now and having an impact now, um, and which is just tremendously exciting, we do view in the future there being opportunities for some of these other technologies, be that cellular, acellular, mycoproteins, like fungi proteins. Um, we, we, we view the future of protein as really a spectrum, right? And, and, and it's gonna be fascinating to see all the different types of categories that are, are created. It might be a blending of plant-based and cellular. It might be mycocellular and plant-based. It might be plant-based and mycoprotein. Like there's gonna be all sorts of variations uh, and exciting new product categories in the future. And I think at the end of the day, that really just benefits the consumer. Uh, everybody, nobody's ever said, yeah, I want less options, right? So yeah. there's just gonna be, I think over time, a proliferation of options um, that are really gonna solve so many of the environmental, ethical, and health problems that we're currently faced with. Um, in terms of timing, there's no doubt it is going to take a bit longer uh, to scale cellular proteins into you know, commercial applications. Um, it, it has taken a, a, a you know, significant amount of capital to develop some of these technologies that were previously kind of relegated to niche sort of biomedical space and, and, and transform what was going on there uh, into a food technology. Um, but it's really, really exciting to see what some of these companies are doing. Uh, and I certainly see a future where there is a veggie burger, uh, you know, a plant-based beyond meat alternative burger, a micro burger, and uh, an actual hamburger just without uh, a cow ever being raised or slaughtered. Um, and probably coming from your friendly local meat brewery. So um, that, that's sort of the, I think the future we envision at Everhope Capital. Yeah, that'll be a good day, right? When, when the harm is taken out from the industry. Yes, very much so. Um, when it comes to companies uh, who are developing plant-based solutions and cell-based uh, solutions, for example, uh, Just has been obviously with Just Eggs, but they also have a cell-based approach for their chicken product that they've launched in um, Singapore. Do you have an opinion on, on, on that? Or do you believe that companies should just pick one, like uh, in terms of focus? I think generally it's it, most uh, startups will find more success in, in focusing on an area of the supply chain. Um, I think uh, as companies though grow and scale and succeed and gain resources, 
we might see more diversification of those different approaches within a company. Um, Just has the luxury of uh, having raised quite a bit of capital over you know, a, more, a more significant history than most other companies in this space. Um, as an investor, yeah, I think it would be challenging to invest in, in a new startup if they're saying we're going to be looking at plant-based and micro-based and cellular. Uh, there is definitely, I think, a value in focusing on a certain approach uh, and really knocking that out of the park. Uh, but I'm not, but I'm, not, I'm not critical either of a well-resourced company expanding into all different technical approaches to solve what is one of the most critical issues of our time. And uh, so Kim, in terms of Plant City, um, you have one big uh, venue at the moment in Rhode Island. And uh, in terms of like the structure where you said you had the four restaurants, can you tell me a bit more about the success that you're having between each of those components, the restaurants, uh, the the marketplace and the community center and also how you use in that community center. Yeah, you know, for our family, this is never about money. This is about leading with a mission, at, but but with a velvet hammer, right? I don't want to stand on a soapbox and say, go plant-based. It solves all the problems of the world. It's healthcare costs, it's animal ethics, it's, it's environment, it's climate, it's social justice, right? It's preventing the next pandemic, but, but you can't, stand on a soapbox, but we can lead with food. So I just wanted to create the best place with the best vibe, with the best people, with the best food, hence Matthew Kenny is my partner, and make it just a place that people want to go to. 80% of our guests are not plant-based. Um, they just saw an Instagram post. And um, by the way, follow our Instagram because it'll drive you crazy with the food from wherever you are and not. Um, you know, they saw a great picture of a burrito and a margarita on their friend's Instagram page, and they decided they, they wanted to come check it out. <laughs> that said, how do we share that from Providence, Rhode Island, to a wider audience? So just 10 weeks ago, we opened Plant City X. And Plant City X is a much more tamed down, smaller menu. We have two, almost 200 employees this summer at Plant City. It's a beast. It's very challenging to run. But Plant City X is like a Burger King plant-based restaurant. It is just, you know, look at a McDonald's menu. We've just got the plant-based options. Burgers, chicken sandwiches, chicken air quote fries, you know, very, very basic, but easy to replicate and, and scale rapidly. And drive the first through. one opened 10 weeks ago. What? Yeah, and drive-through as well. Drive, drive-through counter service. Um, the first right. one we opened 10 weeks. So it's, it's been very successful even during COVID with a lack of universities with colleges on the uh, kids on the campus and the local war college is working remotely. So we know that even as everything starts to come back, they will be even more successful. Um, we're signing a lease this week to add another one and we are looking at expanding in a franchise model so that everywhere where you are within 15 minutes, we'd love to see in the, at least in the more populated areas, a Plant City X option where, you know, if you're just on the road and you want a, a, a plant-based meal instead of a, uh, an animal-based one, you will have that option. And so, um, you know, that's the goal. Um, it's always been the goal to scale, but I think it's gonna be a lot easier to scale the Plant City X's than the Plant Cities. Although there are people um, coming pretty regularly now to look at Plant City and say, you know, how do we build one of these in Miami and Dubai? and all of these other places. And, and that's great, I wanna do that. Now might not be right the, the right time, but but coming soon it will be again. Yeah, 
And all the food that you're selling in Plant City X is also your own uh, your own uh, items versus you know branded products like your in the marketplace you sell branded products like you know Beyond or Impossible. Correct. Correct. Yeah, um, Matthew for many years has um, shied away from um, any other processed foods. He, we really make almost everything by hand. We have just started carrying just egg folded eggs at Plant City X right. because it's ex expedient and, and price sensitive to be able to do that, the labor of doing it a different way. So there's some manipulation that has to go there and he did think that that would be okay. Um, but at, at Plant City X, we make like 80 sauces, cheeses, dressings by hand every single day. It's, it's, it is an incredible labor of love for sure. Um, but once you taste that macadamia ricotta and the butternut queso and the cashew lime crema, you'll, you would never want us to do it um, packaged anyway. So it works for us in that setting. The marketplace is a great opportunity for us to do all these companies that we, we have funded. We've got a lot of alpha products there and some beyond meat products there. And um, it, 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 for us, it's really challenging. We're animal free, but we're also palm oil free. For our family, that's a hard stop, no. And when you start looking at the universe of products, it gets rather small, but I think there's 650 products, floor to ceiling in there, and it's a small space, but boy, we, we turn it and burn it in there pretty quickly. People are looking for a space that they can step into and go, oh, I don't have to read labels. I could just look at all this great food and decide which of it I want to take home with me. I mean, we also have delivery and curbside, so we make it easy. We've got our own app. They can order up their groceries. We can deliver them, or they can swing by and pick them up out front. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and in terms of those products, do you, do you feel that a lot of um, the brand should also be going plastic-free in terms of their packaging? Some have. I know, like, for example, No Evil Foods have done a lot around the packaging side. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what you think of that and you know i guess one 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 thought is that you know as a startup they're looking at their costs quite quite carefully and and the packaging yep. of those yep. items are maybe yep. double uh so it could be a hard justification but a lot of them are saying yeah when the time is right when we find a suitable alternative we will do it yep. but i quite like the ones who are putting that at front and center to some degree yeah and we carry no evil and I really admire them for doing that. It does hurt them in their sales because it makes them look like a little bit like granny made it down the road rather than a, a big national brand. But but they've taken that stand. We also at Plant City have taken that stand. We're 100% compostable packaging and it's more than twice as much amount. It's oh, wow. really expensive. It's yeah. really expensive. My straws are five times the cost of a plastic straw. Um, but, but like you said, you make that commitment and again, for us, this was not about money. We need to be viable, but but this was really about driving this mission. So how can you serve this food and then serve it in plastic? For us, it was just a, 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 a no-brainer that this is the way we were going to do it. But I can certainly see how a new brand like an Alpha or someone like that, they don't have any choices. And there really aren't choices in the marketplace yet. Um, but I'm sure as they will, these are the folks that are going to go there first. Yeah. yeah. I I can, I can quite say without hesitation, there's not a single brand of the dozens that I work with that isn't looking at, you know, better, more sustainable packaging yeah. options. First, they just want to do that, but it also resonates with the customer. Most of the customers 
uh, or, 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 or sort of the, the customer base that we're selling these products to, that's, a, that's a, of a great importance to them as well. So uh, I, I think, unfortunately, it really comes down to trying to get more innovation uh, from the packaging industry. And some of the companies are working directly with packaging manufacturers and plastics developers and things like that to try and innovate uh, and create better solutions. But yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's at a point at which uh, the entire industry is without uh, really great answers at this point, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and um, you're right in that, you know, the big manufacturers are, are working with the, 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 the packaging companies to create solutions. And, you know, some, some are, there's some limitations, obviously, take, take, for example, if you're, if you're boiling something in a, in a, in a packet, uh, in, in terms of how it's made as a consumer good, like rice, for example, uh, or be, uh, bean curry, for example, like that, uh, that has to go to certain temperatures and then it can't, you know, and so that, but there are solutions that are coming out there. Um, but I hope that it's not going to be that, oh, you need to take this to a special place to get recycled. No, we just want to be able to Put it and it either composts or some you know it'll it'll get taken care of you know that that's the that's the aim isn't it yeah absolutely that's i think all the future we're we're trying to push for and, and help create absolutely yeah um so kim looking at the community space um do you are you using that for like a education platform yeah you yeah have? so it's our, our lower level it's called the uh, plant city cellar and pre-COVID, we were pretty well booked up. We leased the space um, $35 an hour to like-minded practitioners. So energy healers, Reiki people, yoga, Pilates, cooking classes, plant-based docs, plant-based nurses, cooking classes for kids, cheese-making classes. And then also we bring in big speakers, like all the people that you see in these movies, Dr. Osfeld, Dr. Esselstein, Dr. Stanzik, Dr. Michael Greger, they've all been to Plant City and Dr. Chef Chloe, people like that in the first year. And we would bring them in and pay, and pay to bring them in because there's expenses involved in that. But then we would also bring them to the Brown University Medical School um, to speak to the lifestyle training docs. And then we would bring them over the across the street to Johnson and Wales um, to the culinary school and have them speak in front of 150 chefs and or we would do a movie viewing up the street at a prep school for 700 people so you know when i bring them to town i want to expose as many people as possible to them in addition to just our 200 guests that can fit in our second floor um, before we bring on brunch on a saturday morning yeah that's a great idea get get your uh, get as much exposure as you can whilst whilst yeah. they're with you yeah. Um, and in terms of the locations now for um, Plant City X, can you tell me about that and where, where else you want to be um, this year and the, and the plans for that? Sure. So um, it's pretty rare to open up your second um, venue within six months, but I believe that we can open the next one if we can get this lease signed. That's always a challenge um, in, in July or August. So um, what that'll be company store number two really working out the templating and the processes and the training and the manuals to get it to get it templated and replicatable easy we have 30 staff we've got a manager who is well paid but but the the, the structure all works there's enough going to the bottom line that it can be franchised so um, that's what we're working on is just tightening up 
all the pieces, but it, but it's much more manageable. I'd love to have them everywhere and not. When we open it up though, I think we're gonna have to go regionally and then in kind of like concentric circles. So, um, you know, we'll probably have three or four company stores in Rhode Island, open it up to New England, then open it and go South New York and Pennsylvania and then work, work our way out. Um, as soon as I started mentioning this on Clubhouse and LinkedIn that we were looking at the franchise model, my phone is, is starting to blow up. There's a lot of people that want to do this because, you know, people want to have businesses. They want to be part of the solution, but they want to do, they want to do something that has meaning and value while also earning a really good income. So when you could put all that together, I think, and, and, and it's really good, then I think you've got something. So we're, we're on fast forward trying to get that rolled out. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Um, I interviewed uh, Seth Goldman, who's the, the chairman of Beyond Meat, and um, he, he's launched um, Eat the Chain, and he's also got his um, burger uh, fast food within um, Whole Foods, and that really helped him whilst the pandemic was on, all the other restaurants were shut, but because it was an essential service, he could still operate, which was actually, you know, in hindsight, that was a great great move. Um, have you got any thoughts about what he's doing and, and the way he's going with his, his, um, his chain? I mean, I would just talk about the, the, the drive-through, um, you know, COVID was hard, hard for all restaurants, except the QSR drive-throughs. They really hit it home run and, and many of them had significantly better income and sales during COVID. So that's what really got me to, to pivot hard and fast, but I'm going to leave that question up to Froome and he's probably much more versed on what Seth is doing. Um, yeah, I, I actually haven't had the pleasure of uh, speaking with Seth before, but certainly aware of his uh, amazing accomplishments with previous ventures and with Beyond Meat. Yeah. Um, we're seeing all sorts of new restaurant uh, concepts popping up. And um, the way I look at it is the more the better. I mean, when you look at our entire food system and food service uh, network, it's 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 just massive um and so we're going to need a lot of these and a lot of really successful new concepts uh addressing all sorts of different culinary styles and uh price points and and uh you know health objectives and all these sorts of things so you know i, I look at our every single existing concept and think about someday we're gonna have to have a plant-based and vegan version of that and it's just gonna, it's, it's gonna be a massive transformation. Um, yeah. and, and it's the same that I, I think with the uh, retail and, and uh, products as well that we're investing in. I mean, if you look at all the incredible amount of products that exist today in our current food system, to think that that's going to uh, transition over with just a handful of companies is, is uh, I don't think very realistic. It's gonna take uh, a tremendous amount of innovation and new companies and, and capital deployed um, over over decades to uh, to make this transition happen. You know, and not it's it's really wonderful because our family is um, most interested in helping other people. Also, right, a lot of people would say, "Well, this is competition. Other people are going to come in." I, I never looked at it like that. Yesterday, I spent almost an hour on the phone with this really great guy out of Italy who's doing vegan pizza like Domino's and he's going to put them in these containers and drop them in neighborhoods so he doesn't even need real estate he just needs to rent part of a parking lot right so 
it's such a fabulous concept. Pizza, wherever you are, all plant-based. And I, I offered him to connect with Numu. He's already using Numu. So um, yeah, like Roman said, there's going to have to be a lot of change. And the people who get there first and do it right have a really phenomenal opportunity while also doing really important work. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, yeah, happy to connect you, by the way, to, to uh, Seth, so you can have that conversation and see how you guys can collaborate. Excellent, thank you. Yeah. Um, so in terms of what's next, would you say, for Everhope, what sort of companies you're looking for, maybe the sort of geos, is there anything that you feel is a, is a hole at the moment in your portfolio? Um, that's an interesting point. Well, I, I think if there are gaps or white spaces, that, that's what we're interested in identifying and investing in. Um, you know, we kind of say we're not exactly looking to, for the next brand, right? Um, because we have limited time, limited capital, limited resources, we do have to be judicious about where we're deploying that capital and which companies we choose to support and work with. Um, because of that, um, we need to really focus our, our efforts. And what we're looking for is uh, companies that are highly innovative still and addressing um, these sort of white areas or, or, or white spaces. Um, you know, for a, an example of a company that we probably wouldn't invest in is like a new almond milk company or a new soy milk company. Uh, we view those categories as quite mature and there's very large successful companies addressing those problems incredibly effectively. Yeah. Um, I guess, a better answer uh, to your question would be a little bit, what is our core investment thesis really? So um, we, we sort of stole it in a sense from the, from the Good Food Institute. Um, the Good Food Institute has done some excellent research and for anybody who's not familiar with that organization, I, I cannot re recommend looking up their resources enough. Um, but uh, through their research, it is very clear what drives consumer choice in, in, in food products and that is price, taste and convenience. Um, so when we're looking at a company, we're looking to see, are they innovating on price, taste, or convenience? Um, while I wish uh, it was environment and ethics and these other sorts of things that was really driving consumer choices, the reality is it's just it, those are not the driving uh, forces yet. Um, so when we look at a company, it needs to be innovating on one or more of those facets. Um, so if somebody did come to us with an almond milk or soy milk and said, hey, we have a way of producing this that's you know 30% less but the same performance, or we have, um, you know, a product that costs the same, but performs wildly better in some application, then, then we'd be interested. So I, I hope that explains maybe a little bit of where our focus area is. Uh, it's what led us to the seafood category when we thought that was being very underinvested relative to the other, uh, you know, species um, and, uh, and uh, ecologies. And, um, that, that's what's continuing to drive our investment in this area is who's coming up with uh, novel, innovative approaches to making products that are both, um, you know, cost, or cost less, perform better, or more convenient and accessible. Um, we think that that's really the driver of this whole space and, and is going to allow these products to outcompete in the marketplace. Because if we have a, a product that doesn't taste as good and costs more, well, you know, that, that's not going to have a huge uh, scalable, uh, addressable market. Um, so, I, and the way I, I guess we view ourselves in this whole transition is our purpose is to try 
accelerate what it, I view and we view as inevitable. So uh, an example I share with people is, you know, and that's and that's Tesla's stated mission, right? They, they sort of view as the future of sustainable transport is obviously electric vehicles. Uh, someday, you know, we will run out of oil. So what is the purpose then of Tesla? It is to accelerate the advent of sustainable energy. Um, and, and I view our purpose in the uh, alternative protein space very similarly. I view these as technological inevitabilities. Um, and I can get a little bit more into why we view it that way, uh, but really our role is to see, can we help accelerate that? Like, can we help accelerate the transition to a future free of uh, animal exploitation quicker? Um, if so, then, then I think then we'll, we, we have, we'll, we'll have succeeded in some sense, yeah. Uh, other than sort of um, alternative protein, would you consider investing into other sectors like for example, the animal-free material space. You know, there's lots of, see lots of innovation happening on that. Uh, and I've interviewed a few past guests on that, in that area too. Yeah, so I guess as a family, our interests in this space and, and uh, more responsible investing are broader than just food. Uh, as you mentioned, materials, there's also animal testing, uh, other sort of, uh, um, uh, um, welfare issues uh, that exist in the world. We're certainly very interested in those. Some, we feel like there are opportunities to deploy capital, particularly in the protein alternative space. Um, some we view as more philanthropic opportunities yeah. at this point. So there um, are um, um, biodiversity, you know, all sorts of uh, organizations protecting biodiversity, natural wildlife, um, species protection, we like to support those organizations philanthropically. Um, as you mentioned, materials, um, so the Material Innovation Initiative, uh, the MII, is a new organization that we've been supporting for a little while, and we're really excited about what they're helping bring to the material space, whether that's fashion or packaging or other things like that, um, mm -hmm. trying to help companies realize where you know, viable, exciting alternatives exist and then help create the ones that we need. Um, so I think that's a really interesting point. Like this is broader than food and alternative proteins as well. Uh, animals are being exploited in many different ways, unfortunately. So um, we just view certain areas as more investable, whereas certain areas right now seem, it seems like philanthropic dollars are more effective. Um, but that might, that's always changing as well. So if we find some, uh, for-profit models in the material alternative material space, that's something we're certainly interested in. Uh, but right now we view uh, in terms of uh, venture investing, um, protein alternatives be the most impactful scalable solutions that we can find mm -hmm. to creating a more humane world. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and a not just so that you know, our family office goes beyond this thesis in other areas beyond Everhope Capital. Um, and we're, you know, we're involved in, in solar and renewable and, and even, I believe, in a new fund from, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's the first carbon sequestration fund that just made their first investment. Um, so we, we broader as a family do other work, but Froman is really running this. And I'm sure you could tell as, as listening to him, he's um, passionate and, and keenly aware of what what he's doing um, i'm really really proud of him he's still under 30 uh not for long but yeah <laughs> amazing 
Um, so it's fantastic also with the, the, the Biden administration making its commitment now back on the, the Paris Climate Agreement, but also investing into, uh, you know, uh, solar and, and EV, um, especially for the US fleets that they have for the, 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 Fed, uh, the Federation. So uh, will that help any of your businesses, do you think, in, in terms of that solar energy part? Uh, yeah, we certainly have exposure to renewable energy infrastructure, renewable transportation. So some of these infrastructure bills that are being proposed by the new administration would definitely be tailwinds uh, for some of those investments and, and things that we participate in uh, philanthropically as well. So uh, very, very excited to see that. Um, I hope uh, in the coming years there is also um, a similar level of support and attention paid to uh, our food um, production and food options as a as an equal opportunity to have the positive environmental and societal Im impacts that um, are now widely accepted uh, to be a part of renewable transportation and energy production. Yeah, yeah totally. There needs to be more lobbying on that, right, to make yeah. that happen faster with, with the government. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, there are some groups doing great work on that front, yeah. but. Uh, certainly more can uh, uh, more resources are needed more more time more energy um, I, I see that uh, but I see that as inevitable but it's just can we accelerate towards that yeah yeah, yeah. awesome so yeah so just want to say thank you both for coming on the show it's great to hear from you uh, and all the initiatives that you're working on uh, and Froman, yeah, fantastic that you've encouraged a family. Uh, I, I also did the same, but it's, it's great to see that uh, momentum happening uh, and then spinning off and creating all these enterprises, which is amazing. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for having us. I, 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 if I can uh, end on a, like an uplifting note uh, that That's I like to do on some of these conversations, whether it's with investors or or companies, you know, I, I really do, like I said, view these technolo technologies as inevitable. Um, you know, it's just fundamentally uh, so inefficient uh, the way we currently produce protein. I mean, 20 pounds of grain to produce one pound of cow flesh is just, uh, it's just, it boggles the mind, right? So uh, I think rapidly we're going to start to internalize those efficiencies and we're going to be able to drive down costs in this industry and improve performance through uh, additional uh, R&D dollars. So I think right now people have an idea of what protein alternatives are, but we're barely in the first inning, to use a baseball reference, uh, in terms of performance of these products and pricing and accessibility. And now we've got a tremendous amount of tailwinds from large uh, food strategic businesses investing in these sorts of technologies and these businesses we're working with. And the, the, the fantastic, I think, exciting part about all this is that these products were not actually beholden to the biology of an animal. So I really see a future in which we can make products that are healthier, actually taste better and outperform their animal counterparts, are less expensive, have less environmental costs, um, less you know, public health costs, um, and, and of course, uh, far less um, suffering involved. So um, I, I, that's, that's the future I'm really excited for. I, I get encouraged and I, and I do think that that's inevitable that these innovations and technologies will lead us there. Um, I think 
anybody interested in this space should ask themselves, how can I help accelerate that? Because there's so many ways. Um, we identified a few today, but that's what I'm excited about. So thank you for the time. That's awesome. Thank you for, for saying yeah. that. Um, great. And hopefully see you again soon. Good yeah. pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Bye for now.